All right, guys, before we get started, I want to talk to you about a dope new product we have. It is our grass-fed whey isolate protein. It is hands down the best protein ever made. It comes from healthy and happy New Zealand cows that roam on gorgeous green grass-fed pastures. There's no added sugar, which means it's great for a low-carb diet, which I follow pretty much year-round. Because even in the summertime when I'm eating carbohydrates, I don't want to get carbohydrates in fucking powdered form. I want them from sweet potatoes, starches, berries, real food. That doesn't mean I don't mind getting a little extra protein from powder form, especially when it comes from high-quality cows. And this has got it all. It's got a lot more than most protein powders. We include digestive enzymes that help lower inflammation and help you absorb and assimilate the most amount that you can possibly take in from this protein. We've also added in probiotics like Lactobacillus acidophilus, which is incredibly important for the gut microbiome and our immune systems. Check this product out. You're sure to like it. We've got delicious flavors like vanilla and Mexican chocolate. I know you'll enjoy it. Give it a look. We isolate protein from grass-fed cows. We're back on the Onnit Podcast with Master Paul Check. Thank you. And we just finished Paleo FX. Yes, indeed. That's your first run at it. My first run as a speaker. Is that right? Yeah. I wish I would have known you were speaking. I, I was. There's probably a lot of people I'd love to have listened to, but I had so many engagements that I was literally just between signing books and ask, answering questions. I was literally running from event to event and hardly had time to even pause. Yeah, it's it's a it's a wild one, and certainly pre paleo for me and and post yeah. the next two days. You know, with people like yourself that have the the kindness in their heart to stay an extra day after the madness. Mm, hey. uh, I got some good podcasts coming up, so I'm really really pumped. Wednesday will be my ah moment where I can just unwind and, tomorrow, and say it's all good. Tomorrow's mine, so I'll I'll connect to you and. When I'm laying on the ground, just chilling out, I'll tap into you and give you some of it. There you go, brother. Yeah, feed me. I will. I will. <laughs> well, let's jump in here. We've got we've got round two out of, I mean, it's going to be funny saying round anything because I'd love to have you on as often as possible. Hey, anytime I can do it, I'm all for it. I love yeah. sharing the love, especially with a great lover like yourself. Yeah, brother. Well, let's do it. What's going on with our soil? Oh, my God. We're in big trouble. I mean, you know, I won't sugarcoat this thing. You know, you've seen my nutrition, the Dirt Facts program. I published that probably in 2002 or something or a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, <clears throat> many years ago. I can't even remember. But, you know, when I wrote, I've been studying this all my life, but uh, years and years and years ago, I, I read a book uh, on the issues of the soil. And it said at that time, this book was, you know, it's an old book. And they said by the year 1960, I think, something like 61% of the farmable, which technically called arable land, arable means farmable, in the United States had been destroyed through um, typical corporate type farming or commercial farming practices. So because of the use of NPK fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, and rodenticides, it wipes out the microorganism population. Then you have heavy use of machinery, tractors, largely harvesters, and that also kills the microorganism and compacts the soil. And so once you kill off the microorganisms and compact the soil, you no longer have the organisms that create the crumb structure that requires organic matter in the soil. So humus 
is the organic matter. So if, if you walk through a forest, you see all the leaves and needles and everything that falls out of the trees and the animals that die and the poop from the animals covers the forest floor. That's the organic matter that's the food for the microorganisms that do the work of engineering. They literally engineer the soil by a weave of organic matter and soil particles to create what's called a crumb structure. And re Russian research showed that the microorganisms were actually doing something pretty wild, which is they were structuring the soil so that it creates the perfect cosmic antenna to capture energy from the sun, the moon, and the stars. So at night when all the starlight's out, that energy is being fed into the soil. So just like you have a satellite um, TV antenna on your house or an antenna on a radio or anything that has to have an antenna to draw the frequencies in that that system works on, the microorganisms actually restructure the soil to draw the electromagnetic frequencies necessary to enliven the soil. So we have to have a balance between what's called diamagnetic material or minerals. Water is diamagnetic, which means an affinity to the north pole of a magnet and something that's non-magnetizable from the sense of ferromagnetism. Like ferromagnetism means you can pick up a nickel with a, a magnet, for example. Paramagnetism is the opposite. It's anything that has an affinity for the south pole and is somewhat magnetizable. So if you take a typical magnet like you used in a school experiment and rub it through the dirt and pick it up, you'll notice there's a lot of particles stuck to it. Those are paramagnetic particles. They have a light affinity for magnetism. The most paramagnetic anything there is is oxygen. So to put this sort of in perspective, every time you take a breath, you bring oxygen in. Oxygen is the highest uh, substance there is on the paramagnetic scale, which Phil Callahan's the researcher that identified this, it goes to 4,000. Then you have, well, to finish the point, when you breathe in like that, you're in a body of water. It's dimagnetic. So what happens is every time you take a breath and oxygen molecules are connected to the heme in your blood, you now have a polarization. Just like you have a north and a south pole on a battery, or a positive and a negative, I should say, the oxygen would be the positive pole and the water would be the negative pole respectively. So breathing brings your charge up because you have a lot of water in your body. So as you oxygenate your body, you now have this paramagnetic charge relative to the diamagnetic charge, which equals work potential. Just like you have to charge a battery up to give it work potential. The soil actually runs on the same principles. People don't realize that everything that grows out of the ground is growing on the principles of electromagnetism. The magnetic field wraps itself around the globe, just, you know, like if you drew a circle around the globe, so the magnetic field moves horizontal parallel to the surface of the earth, but the electrical field moves vertically. All plants and trees grow along the electrical field. You, can you follow that? Mm-hmm. So like when you see a corn plant growing up, it's following the electrical field. Trees are following the electrical field. But the electrical field is directly proportional to the magnetic field. That's why it's called electromagnetism. You understand that? Mm -hmm. Typically, if you increase one, you increase the other. If you increase the amount of electricity going through an electromagnet, you increase the magnetism, right? Yeah. 
So the balance of the organic matter in the soil, which in a healthy soil research shows you have to have approximately 4 to 6% organic matter to create enough food to keep the microorganism population health, healthy and also to control how water is dispersed in the soil and help regulate the temperature. So the organic matter acts like a blanket to keep the earth's temperature even and, and to protect the microorganisms with weather changes. One square foot of humus research shows can hold seven, uh, seven pounds of water, I think it is. It's a, it's a high amount of water. It acts like a sponge. Imagine a saturated sponge. So when it rains, if the, bot, if the soil has enough humus and the microorganism population is healthy, they create a system that holds water and they can slowly regulate how the water flows to the plant so it doesn't evaporate too quick. If you got the organic matter on the top of the soil, it helps keep water from evaporating out. Then if you have the right mineral balance in nature, then the soil microorganisms construct the soil so that there's a balance of diamagnetic and paramagnetic minerals, which keeps the electromagnetic engine of the soil working. And then they set the soil up to draw cosmic light and starlight and sunlight and moonlight into the soil, which acts like the battery charger. So the balance of the, the organisms, I mean, the, the, the organic matter, which is what compost is for, mm -hmm. right? And in nature, she composts all by herself. But on a farm, you have, you, composting is what puts the organic matter back in the soil so that the microorganisms have the humus to eat to do their work to make the soils vital, okay? So now with those basics in place, we have a dangerously low amount of farmable land left in the world, um, only 14% of China is arable land, and they're, they, they're in a crisis because they're running out of land to feed their people. And fortunately, they used to be organic, so they're able to generate massive amounts of food off their soils in small areas. Uh, the average Chinese farmer could produce more food on one and two-thirds of an acre than the American farmers were producing on 40 acres. Damn. But yes, and 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 if you look at the book Farmers of Forty Centuries by Dr. Hollis King, he was sent by the United States Government Department of Agriculture to figure out how it was that the Chinese could feed that many people on such a small landmass. And back in those days, they used to think that the Chinese and the Japanese and these um, you know different foreign countries were their farming techniques were were silly or ridiculous. And, you know, they, they would make hand pumps where they'd actually ride them like a bicycle and stand there and pump water into the irrigation ditches. Everything was done by hand. They all would collect their poop in the villages and it was called midnight soil and it was taken to be composted to be put back into the land. But uh, Dr. King's book shows that they literally could produce more food on one and two thirds of an acre than the average American farmer could on 40 acres because their, their skill level and their ability to maintain the balance of the soil and keep the soil not only healthy, but growing in its density of nutrition was incredible. And this is a, as a side note, this is a very critical thing to understand because one of the main arguments with uh, commercial farming and biotech is that we, we cannot feed the population through traditional farming needs. So we have to use all these high-tech systems of, you know, farming thousands of chickens in one building and 
using chemicals to make food grow faster, which people don't realize actually burns the soil out. Just like you can burn yourself out using too much sugar or too many drugs, you can burn the soil out by putting too much stimulants into the soil, which is what basically commercial farmers do. So you get big things like great big tomatoes, but they taste almost empty. You get big everything, but there's no nutrition in it because NPK's fertilizer is a salt-based fertilizer, so it attracts a lot of water into the food to neutralize the salt. So it creates the illusion that you're getting a lot for your money, but it's really kind of an obese, sick plant is what it is with no nutrition in it. So where we're at right now is that current research has demonstrated uh, some shocking findings. One, they've just, I recently saw a research paper that was forwarded to me by the organization Food Democracy Now, where they've actually had soil scientists do research and found all over the world that the NPK fertilizers and the nitrogen is not breaking down and it has soaked into the rocks beneath the soil and has never broken down. And we now have a massive, massive amount. This use of NPK fertilizer has been going heavy since the Second World War. And by the way, the, the reason we use those fertilizers is because when the war came to an end, they said, what are we going to do with all these ammunition factories and how are we going to keep this military industrial complex going? So they came up with the wise idea that the same stuff you used to make munitions and gunpowder, we could convert and make a chemical fertilizer out of. So they kept the uh, military industrial complex profitable by convincing farmers to use chemical fertilizers, which are, you know, and remember the World Trade Center was blown up with fertilizer, right? So the military industrial complex injected themselves into the farming community to keep their industry profitable when there wasn't a war situation. So now the research shows that we have got an absolutely freaking massive amount of tons and tons. I mean, you know, the, the number's unbelievably big. They can't even measure it it's so big. Trapped in the soils everywhere where they've been doing commercial farming. And the problem is, is if it rains with to any degree that's going to wash that stuff into rivers, lakes, and streams, and ultimately in the ocean. And the nitrogen concentration and the chemical concentration is so high that the scientists say it will destroy life in almost any river, stream, or ocean that it gets to because of the concentration of it. And they used to think that the stuff metabolized in the soil and broke down, but now they find out it's all sitting in the rocks right beneath the topsoil. So, We've got a major ca catastrophic potentially situation on our hand because if if we get which you know with the oncoming of an ice age and the weather's changing we're getting these periods where there's heavy rain followed by high heat you know the undulations that we have but they say that if if that stuff starts leaking in it it can literally wipe out the waterways and all the life in the waterways and the in the oceans just like you got the great barrier reef dying in Australia from chemical exposure okay so that's one factor. I was also forwarded another research paper that's quite shocking. And my father's the years for years was the president of the Comox Valley Farmers Association. I was raised on a farm, as we've discussed. And so I understand farming from, from living it. And it was interesting because my father had just emailed me and we were and we were having a chat by email or by phone, I can't remember. And he said, you know, Paul, do you remember when you were young on the farm, 
how there was just so damn many mosquitoes and insects, it would just be drive you nuts. I said, oh yes, I do. You know, he was like, you get eaten alive out there working in the fields. He said, I hardly ever see a mosquito or an insect. He goes, I can go a whole day and never get bitten by a mosquito in the summertime. And I said, well, dad, it's funny you say that. I'm going to forward you a report that I just got. And the report, report was done by a group of entomologists and they found that entomologists all over the world started reporting that bug traffic was diminishing. Entomologists study insects for those of you that aren't familiar with that term. And so they, they decided to create a collaborative network to start measuring bug traffic at different locations around the world. And when the research was done, it was very shocking they found through scientific research that bug traffic worldwide has dropped 75% in the last 50 years. And in the title of that research paper was something like Armageddon may be near. And the entomologist said at any moment, the, we could hit the critical point in nature where the bugs tra bug traffic is so low that the sex organs of nature collapse and they don't pollinate and the functions of the bugs is too low to keep the, shall we say, the ship running. So then you look at the research, the average commercial farm worldwide only has between 0.5 and I think 2% organic matter in the soil. It's very low, 0.5 to maybe even less than two. It's been years since I looked at the research, but it's all shared in my nutrition, the dirt facts. Uh, which can be gotten on DVD through the Institute, or you can see it on YouTube. It, it's broken up into 10-minute segments because it was years ago when YouTube was like that. But they showed worldwide that we have not nearly enough organic matter in the soil to meet the requirements of the microorganisms to do their work. And when you don't have enough organic matter in the soil, you cannot contain water, nor can you regulate temperature. And we have a planet that's overheating. Now, there are other external sources causing the plant. The whole solar system's heating up. Uh, David Wilcox shows lots of great research on that in his um, series on Gaia TV, which is Wisdom Teachings by David Wilcox. But he's shown research from NASA showing that every planet in our solar system is also going through what you might call a greenhouse effect. It's not a greenhouse effect, but it's heating up because of the activity of the sun but we are accelerating for sure. There's mountains of great research showing that we are accelerating through our use of industry, burning fossil fuels and all the things we all know would contribute to that. Anyhow, you, you know, how much carbon can you throw into the atmosphere before it starts disrupting temperature regulation? A lot of methane from cows too, especially well, that is a, farm. That's a big one, but that that's largely due to two things. One, poor farming techniques. Two, feeding cows the wrong things. Three, People just eat too damn much meat. You know, the average American, based on research that I've seen, eats three to five times more meat a day than they actually need relative to their physical needs. So, we, you know, we've become a, a habitual consumers of, of too much animal flesh and too much food in general, all of which requires a lot of more, a lot more farming than we really need. And it results in massive amounts of food. Like we've got enough grain stored around this country to feed a lot of people for a long time. Unfortunately, it's very toxic, poor quality, low nutrition grain. But I, the point I'm making is, you know, the government keeps subsidizing farms to make more and more of this stuff and they're stockpiling it. And then it has to be sprayed with pesticides so the bugs don't eat it while it's in storage. And the average uh, 
the average, by the time something like pasta or cereal gets to your place, re, some researchers say it's been sprayed as many as 10 times in warehouses with pesticides to keep it from getting eaten by the bugs in storage. So we've gone through this massive overconsumption, obviously for industrial, industrial profit, and we're farming unethically, we're torturing the soil, we're killing off the insects, we're poisoning the waterways. And if we don't come to the realization very, very fast that we must stop putting money into those industries, we must starve them out and make them become ethical and moral. Morality is, morals are codes of conduct that are life affirmative. Ethics are code of conducts that may or may not be life affirmative. I was a soldier with a soldier's manual that was the ethics of who you kill and who you don't kill. But when it comes to a moral, we have to be more moral, morally conscious with the use of science because many different scientific endeavors are actually very, very destructive to the planet and to our health. But because the scientists are largely paid by the corporations and that's where they get their money, they, uh, shall we say, push their morals aside to get a paycheck. And the next thing you know, everything that we've got backed by science, not everything, but a lot of the things we, that are backed by science, be they medical drugs that cause problems or surgical techniques or microwave ovens or whatever the hell it is, is being pumped out there without any concern for the knock-on effect of it. So it's a, it, we're at a point right now where if enough people don't start supporting organic farmers and rehabilitating the soil and working collaboratively, collaboratively to clean up the waterways and reduce emissions and air pollution. Um, well, you know, it's we're 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 pushing the system. I mean, on a on a as a guy that used to race cars, I'm sure you know what a tachometer is for in a car. The red line on any car is set by the manufacturer at the point at which, if the RPMs go above that, the engine the engine's capacity to hold itself together is no longer reliable. You can float a valve or put a hole in a piston or have a crank rod uh, give up or, you know, the system just can't take that much revolutions per minute without modifications. You know, race cars are all hopped up so they can handle high RPM, but even the best race car engine in the world has a red line. So does every motorcycle. You could simply say, we've been pushing the earth to the red line for about the last 50 years. And the question is, how long can you hold your foot to the floor while sitting in your garage without any you know, effective load on the engine before pieces start flying out and it dies? So that's the state of the soil. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, thank you. And if you look at, uh, uh, to add to that, and I'll be sharing a blog coming up called the food uh, the earth warrior series because i worked with fd of uh, the food democracy now to create a movement called earth warriors and uh we'll be sharing piles of research but monsanto has pumped so much glyphosate into the system and roundup that the statistics on that alone are enough to just knock you out of your socks and their research showed that there's just massive amounts in commonly eaten foods like breakfast cereals, almost anything that comes from an American farm is loaded with glyphosate. And unfortunately, it was designed as a chelating agent. And they said that it breaks down naturally in the soil, but they actually have been caught lying to the public and manipulating their research 
but now they're finding that it does not break down the soil. And if it gets in your body, it disrupts your enzyme pathways and all sorts of nasty stuff that leads to cancer and all sorts of stuff. And it is in so many foods, it is unbelievable. And it does not break down in the soil for a long, long time. So we not only have everything I just talked about, but we have billions of gallons of Roundup being sprayed all over. And one of the worst places in the world for that, it's golf courses. They just cover those places in that. And, you know, wherever you're at with, you know, wherever they're, the city's trying to keep streets from having weeds on the sidewalks, parks, um, you know, you name it, Roundup is, is just everywhere. And uh, it's, hey, we, we've got to pay a lot less attention to silly shit on iPhones and, and uh, you know, stupid video games and, and mindless television and focusing on trying to have another cool car, the neatest clothes or all that shit and get right back to the basics before we are put into a crisis situation that could be extremely scary to go through. And I feel that all the world's militaries need to be immediately put on the topic of uh, reforestation, doing work to harvest compost all over the world, effective compost, uh, repopulate the humus in the soil, clean the waterways and balance mother nature out. We've got to shut down. We've got to switch from uh, burning fossil fuels like coal and oil and go to Tesla-based type technologies because there's mountains of them. I mean, these corporations have been literally killing, executing the inventors of a lot of these free energy technologies for the last 50 plus years. And there's now numerous documentaries out there showing that we have the energy technology to completely get rid of any fossil fuels whatsoever. But it's very, very clear that large corporations that stand to make money off this power corporations, coal corporations, et cetera, will do anything they can to stop people, including executing them, so their patents don't go through. And there's a whole books documenting this stuff. But this is why I say we need to get the military involved. The military must become the force of protecting the world from legitimate threats, not manufactured terrorism and all the shit that keeps people thinking they have to pump tons of money into the military to protect themselves from false threats. (laughs) That's my report. (laughs) Excellent, brother. So I want to focus on some of the ways we can dig ourselves out of the hole. Like, and obviously you've touched on my next question was going to be, why is it important to eat organic? And I think you've covered quite a few of the bases there. Well, there's more if you want to know more. But I do want more. I want more because a lot of people... A lot of people, if it's not directly in their face, don't necessarily find it as a concern. Yeah. But certainly when we understand about taking these things into our body like glyphosate, it's a real concern for ourselves it's right a, now. Yes. So why why eat organic? Let's Is that all right to start uh-huh. there? That's right. Okay. Brother. So first of all, we have a very big problem with the whole concept of organic farming that's come on in the last... 20 years because as organic food and farming or as people started going to supermarkets with guys like me and and Michael Pollan and many others out there beating the organic drum all over the world and people just getting sick one of the ways organic farming has gotten popular because a lot of people get cancer as you know it's very very common and many of them end up at natural treatment centers that will only feed cancer patients organic food and then they learn there why it's so important 
and they realize that once they've eaten it and healed with it, they don't ever want to go back. So we've now had this progressive growth of the awareness of organic food, which still is only 44 to 6% of the total food consumption on the planet, meaning only 4 to 6% of all the food eaten in the world is organic. The rest of it is commercially raised. We're not one percenters, but we're four to six percenters. We're four to six percenters, okay? <clears throat> now, what large corporations have been doing, and I'll give you more information on the examples of who they are, they started publishing on television, on radio, in the media, and in scientific journals, uh, research claiming that organic was no better than commercial. Now, how did they do this? Now, then the next thing they did, I'll jump ahead, they manufactured their own organic certifications by developing shell companies under different names. Like, you know, for example, I, I have contact with a professor of soil science who has been sharing his research on who actually owns the organic certifications that are out there. And right now there's about 95 organic certifiers in the United States alone owned by Mars Bar, Snickers, Coca-Cola, General Foods, Heinz, Pepsi-Cola, um, Cadbury. I mean, the, the corporations that you would least expect would have any interest in organic farming own all these. But what, the, what happens is these guys have, they're all part of the processed food industry and they've got their hands and their money all over the place. So what they do is whenever they have a connection to a corporate farming adventure, they then start an organic certification, which is their own bogus organic certification. A real organic certification requires that a soil scientist comes to your land, tests your land to see what chemicals that are in there because you have to have clean soil before you can meet the certification standards of a real organic certification so people aren't getting chemicals in their food, dangerous chemicals. So you have to go through this gestation phase where the microorganisms digest and metabolize all the toxins in the soil because if that soil's ever had chemicals used on it, it has to be cleaned up. And then you can only sell your food as certified organic once the organic agency soil scientist has de deemed your soil is now truly organic, okay? Well, all these certifications that I just mentioned, are they don't require that. You just pay money and then you can sell their food as organic. There's no testing involved. So then what they do is they, because many of them fund the agricultural programs in universities, these corporations do, so what they do is they take food from their commercial farm and then they take food from their organic farm, which is the exact same food raised on a different piece of land called organic that's not organic. And they do research and then publish it in journals saying, oh, look, there's no difference, but they don't let you know how that happened. <laughs> okay, so we have this prostitution going on. So you, I've had many of my students come to class. Oh, I saw a, a news report showing science that said there was no benefits to organic food. And that's why I have to explain why. And then I show them the map that I got from this professor and he maps it all out and you see all these corporations. So people are getting completely confused and that's part of the process. If you confuse people, they don't know what to do. And most of them won't dig to the bottom of it. So one of the most important things I will say that you have to look into is where your food is coming from. 
if you don't know where your food's coming from, you are playing Russian roulette. And food, remember, food can make you healthy or food can kill you straight up. Same with water. Water can help you be healthy or it can poison you. So what we've got now is this situation where we've got to identify wherever you live. I don't care if you live in New York City. You need to get on the internet and find out where there's lots of farms now starting what are, what's called community-supported agriculture. My son was the first one to set up a community-supported agricultural system in Los Angeles before they ever had one. So what you do is you go to an organic farmer and they then start a membership. So like we're, we have one in San Diego that we're part of. There's several of them in San Diego. We pay something like, I don't know, 40, I don't know what it is, 40, 60 bucks a month, my wife could tell you. And then each week they bring us a bag of fresh produce, enough to feed us for a good week. And it's a big bag and, and, and sometimes two bags. It's, and, and whatever is in season, they, you get a bag of that every week and it's delivered to your door. So you, or they'd have a drop-off point in LA. My son set it up, I think, so they had a, a drop-off point and then people would come and pick up their food there. So then the money that you would normally be spending on garbage, toxic food in a supermarket, which is you're paying prices that are high because of all the hands being traded. In other words, the, the food that you're paying as organic food in a supermarket really isn't organic most of the time. And if you learned, if you really eat organic food and know the taste and the feel of it in your body, and then you're on the road like I am, and my wife has no choice sometimes but to go to like a Whole Foods and get their organic, and it's, it's empty compared to what I get at home. It's just like I'm eating dead food, but it's supposedly organic. So by knowing where the food comes from and getting people together to set up community-supported agricultural programs to pump the money into the hands of the farmers that don't poison the soil, that actually enrich the soil, that farm intelligently and minimize the carbon footprint. And then all of us working together to just be honest about how much flesh food do I really need? How much beef do I really need? Um, how much fish do we, you know, the, we're fishing the oceans right out and we're poisoning off the ocean and we're running out of uh, species to eat because we're killing them off. I mean, tuna is practically fished out. Many other fish are practically fished out of the oceans. We're, we're eating them, pulling them out faster than they can reproduce and grow. And that's been going on for a long time. So by learning the techniques that I share in my Primal Pattern Eating webinar series, for example, which is right out of Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 2, but I took eight hours of essential training, put it into a four-part webinar series, two two-hour blocks. That's right on the Czech Institute that you can buy. I think it's like $129 to go through the eight hours of training. And I show you exactly how to monitor your body, how to use muscle testing, soul connection. So you can learn what your body wants food wise from meal to meal. And your body will tell you, yes, I do or don't want flesh. And this is how much I do or don't want of any food. It'll even tell you what foods you're having reactions to. So you can clean your diet up and you can get guided. And I've helped thousands and thousands of people with all sorts of health problems completely get healthy. I've helped countless athletes learn to eat properly and perform at very, very high levels using these techniques. I mean, all the way back to Danny Way, who came to me when he was 19 years old in serious trouble. And he's been a big advocate of organic food ever since. And so you, you got guys like that that are out there encouraging athletes to do the thing, real thing, but then you got all these athletes, I won't name names, but on television selling crap food and 
you know, monster and all sorts of shit that just isn't, you know, a good idea for anybody. Um, so knowing where your food comes from, being very, very conscious of what you spend money on, what, whatever you spend money on that's got chemicals in it or is poisoning the earth. For example, most people aren't aware, but every time you buy a bottle of water in plastic, Research shows that it takes three times as much water as the bottle holds just to make the bottle in the manufacturing process. So you think you're only drinking that one bottle of water, but when it comes to the abuse of water, just like we're talking about the abuse of the soil or the abuse of the waterways, when you're buying stuff out of plastic and you don't need to, or you, or you haven't done the work to find it, like I'd researched at home and, and, and my wife and I, and we found that Palomar water produces, will sell you five gallon bottles of water in glass. So we do that. Um, there is a well, website called findaspring.com, findaspring.com. And it'll show you where you can get spring water right out of the ground from high quality sources all over the world. People need to start seeing, finding water and finding food from clean sources and supporting those companies, whether it be natural fiber clothing or water or food or naturally produced non-toxic non organic cosmetics and body care products. We got to get chemicals out of the house, stop using Raid, Roundup. Uh, we got to, you know, the amount of people, for example, that are using toxic deodorants and, and perfumes and body care sprays and don't realize that's just trashing their liver and burning their detox systems out, all that stuff, these centers that people use, they, they, that stuff is poisoning the environment and poisoning human beings. And the, we're never going to do this through government legislation because we don't have a government. We have a corporate headquarters. That's just a fact. This is not about democracy. This is about a few large corporations controlling people. If you look into the fact, for example, who owns most of the food production and food delivery systems, you will find five major corporations like Cargill is one of them produce 90% of the food eaten in the United States. Okay. I, I am an ex 82nd airborne division paratrooper. We are trained that when you engage the enemy, the first thing you do is cut off their food supply and knock out their communications, and the rest is downhill. When five corporations produce 90% of the food in the world, do you realize how much control they actually have over you? They can do whatever they want to you. What would happen if there was no food and water in the supermarkets for three days? Yeah, fucking widespread panic. It's Mad Max Yeah, in 2018. And it is going to be ugly. So we have got to protect ourselves by going to small community farms. We got to do things like putting up our own. Um, we got to start using um, solar panels to produce air energy in our local communities, so that we're not dependent on large grid systems. So that if we have a mountain, we're due for a massive solar flare. There's mountains research on that, and they say that the solar flare is probably it has the potential to knock out electronic systems worldwide it happened in the 1800s caused huge problems and that's way back then imagine now um, but there's tons of stuff on this on the internet you can look into david wilcox research on it is his uh wisdom teaching series he talks about it extensively with nasa this is nasa research this isn't just a bunch of like the world's going to end in 2012 mayan calendar you know confusion 
This is NASA's facts and figures. So when you consider the fact that we could have a number of systems collapse at any given time for a number of reasons, from the banking systems, from <laughs> our education systems are in need of repair, the infrastructures are in need of repair, the, the farming systems are killing the lands, the waters are poison. We have got to get to small local-based commodity, and we're probably going to need to go to much more of a barter system where, you know, someone says, Kyle, what can you do for me? And you, you might say to a farmer, I, I need milk, eggs, uh, cheese, and meat. And he might say, well, from you, I need whatever. And it might be that you have a certain skill. You know, if someone's got a massage therapy skills or they've got, or they want to work on the farm to support the farming. We, we have to go back to the way we did it before all this capitalist stuff was happening. We need kind of a cross between communistic ideals and capitalistic ideals to create a hybrid system that allows us to start separating ourselves from the grid and the control of major corporations. And we've got to worship the water, the soil, and the air, and this planet as though our life depends on it, because by golly, it does. And people are so distracted. And who's distracting them? The large corporations. They're the ones that own the media systems and the same people that have their hands in the food and the drug industry and the alcohol industry have their hands in the media. So it's this incestuous, there's about 85 very wealthy families called the Illuminati that control most of the world. And if we don't step up to the plate and use nonviolent means, which starts by controlling how you spend your money to starve out these corporations we are going to starve ourselves out and we're already dying of malnutrition and we're already dying of excessive stress from trying to work the amount of hours we have to work to consume the things that people have been conditioned to consume constantly and to climb the ladder of status and to keep buying cars you can't afford and houses you can't afford and clothes you can't afford to create some kind of an illusion of success or illusion of status, all of which is programmed into people by slick marketing and things like that. So now is our chance. I mean, you know, Kyle, I, I really applaud you for even asking these kinds of questions on a podcast that's not normally oriented to this because the people that normally listen to your podcast are people that are generally interested in health and performance if you don't understand the importance of the soil and the things that I'm talking about to not only your health and performance, but to your survival, then you've got the cart in front of the horse. You, you know, you, you have to understand the egg to understand the chicken and you have to have a healthy chicken to have a healthy egg. And that cycle is called the wheel of life or the cycle of life. And so it's great that people want to know about these things for health and performance, but we have to have, uh, the awareness that the health and performance of the nature that feeds us is the greatest limitation on our own health and performance. And I'll give you evidence of that. There is a man named Eugene Sandow who set many strength records, many of which I believe have never even been broken to this very day by people with all their advanced technology and drug use. Eugene Sando started the entire industry of bodybuilding, ran the first bodybuilding contest in the world in 1900 in London, England. This guy could pick up a 301 pound dumbbell with one arm and put it over his head at five foot nine, 211 pounds. He could take the stirrups of a horse, put them over the saddle, put his hand through and put his stand up with the horse 
and I've seen <laughs> pictures of it. I got pictures of him in books written by him doing a standing up from a squatting position with a tree that had been sawed and had like 18 people standing on top of it for 2,600 pounds or some damn thing. We must remember that in 1897 through early 1900, when he was doing this, they had not yet figured out what vitamins were. You could not buy vitamins. They did not have any concept of protein powders, performance bars, performance shakes. There was no such things as anabolic steroids. Eugene Sandow did all of this through intelligent training in the use of real food. And interestingly enough, for a living, he ran a corrective exercise institute, which is exactly what I do for a living. And I even went to where his corrective in institute was in London, England, so I could just stand in that space and feel it. And he traveled the world teaching people how to exercise properly, which is exactly what I do. In his book, Life is Movement, published in 1928 or 29, I've got two copies of it. It's really rare, but it's an amazing book. Eugene Sando said in 1929, no man can achieve optimal strength or performance unless all his glands and organs are healthy. That was 1929. Okay, so if it comes down to really getting into strength and performance, if you want to talk about biohacking, most of what people are doing as biohacking is really to compensate for a lack of understanding of four doctors and the science of good food and the science of rest, and the science of using your mind effectively, and the science of effective training. And I'm not saying biohacking's bad. I'm saying when I see what people are doing with biohacking, they're using it as a means of compensating for a lack of knowledge and application of basic skills. And Eugene Sando is living proof, as are many others, that you don't need all the fancy chemi chemicals and gimmicks if you know how to eat right, train right, and live right. Yeah, and there's no... There's no vitamin, there's no supplement, there's no biohack that will mitigate a shitty diet. Like if you're here, you're, you're, there's just no way to get around that. You really can, yeah. at, the, at best, you can try to take some of the weight off, but it's never going to fix anything. You can't be healed that way. There's no electronic device you can strap onto yourself that won't give you information that you can't get from just being present with yourself. That's a fact. I don't like my athletes using any of those devices except for using them as a tool to pay attention to what their inner state is. So if you put a heart rate monitor on, I trained Mike for two and a half years. When Mike was wearing a heart rate monitor, it was to pay attention to what was happening inside of him. Okay, you just did a set of 30 clean and jerks at such and such a weight. Your heart rate got up to 197. What's going on inside of you? Because I want you to get to the point where you know where your heart rate's at and the intensity you're training at without the heart rate monitor. In other words, it's only a tool for awareness, like training wheels on a bicycle for a kid. But what happens is people get addicted to the training wheels. So if the athlete loses their gadget or forgets their gadget, it's as though they're crippled because they don't have their crutch and they're not learning. It's like people using calorie counters to decide how much to eat. Well, if you use your calorie counter to decide how much to eat, it means you have no relationship with your body because calorie counters are based on algorithms. And I'd like to know, show me one human being that's an algorithm, right? Do you fit into an algorithm? Not that I know of. No. <laughs> Maybe one in the future. Right? Algorithms are based on averages, right? Well, remember, if you have a mountain of stones 
as big as any dump truck can carry. I don't care if it's a mile high and the average weight of those stones is two kilograms. Do you realize that you could weigh every single stone in that pile and not find one two kilogram stone? What is that? Look, look, go get a dump truck of stone. Dump it. The, the, if you count the stones, let's say there's 2,000 stones in this big, huge dump truck. You take the weight of the stones, we'll call it 50 tons. You divide it by the number of stones, it turns out to be an average of two kilograms. The average person would be like that average stone. Then if you weigh each stone, you might not find one single stone that actually weighs two kilograms. Algorithms are based on averages, but I'm saying that there may not one be one human being in the lot that actually fits the algorithm because there's some variation of it. They're a mathematical statistic. In other words, you may not fit the algorithm for a calorie counting device to actually tell you how much calories you need, it would have to know so damn much information about you that they couldn't even do it because it takes the nervous system and the cellular system that you have and the consciousness that you have because there might be times when you're hungry, but your higher intelligence says, you know, before I eat, I should probably drink two glasses of water because I haven't drank enough water. And oh, I've been vaporizing some tobacco and herbs, which displaces oxygen. Let me see if I'm hungry after I do 10 minutes of Tai Chi. No machine you can strap to your body can give you that information. You have to get it. You understand? 100%. So we're playing silly games all over the place. We've got to get our feet in the dirt. We got to pay attention to what we're putting into our bodies. We got to hydrate ourselves with real fluids, not chemically toxic shit that people sell for lots of money because it's going to make your biceps bigger, your dick harder, or some other silly damn thing. You know, if you want to biohack, then get yourself healthy enough that you can enhance beyond the basics and use the technology to make you aware of what the technology you have within you already tells you when you learn how to pay attention. All the way back in the late 1800s, Rudolf Steiner said, human beings will continue to make scientific advances with technology outside of themselves until they reach the realization that everything they've created outside of themselves is within themselves. The question is, will they destroy the planet before they figure it out? That was Rudolf Steiner saying that before the year 1900. Steiner knew quite a bit. Steiner he was big was, into biodynamic farming. He founded bioden biodynamic farming. He is the creator of that he concept. He is biodynamic farming. He is the source of it. He created anthroposophic medicine. He created legitimate cures for cancer that are still being used today. He created the Waldorf school system. He was a philosopher. He was in the White Brotherhood. He was a clairvoyant and a spiritual master extraordinaire. I mean, I've got a hundred and about 170 of Steiner's books in my library, most of which are transcriptions of his lectures given all over the world and others that were written by very high level students of Steiner's and farmers and people that applied his technology. But, you know, when a guy like Rudolf Steiner can tell you long before the internet was even invented or cell phones, what's going on and what the future looks like you have to sit back and say wait a minute maybe we should pay attention to this because everything that he and many others talked about be it carl jung or yogananda are all unfolding right in front of us so 
<laughs> you know, when the student is ready, the master appears, even if the master left you the message written on the wall a hundred years ago. <laughs> and that's how you know they were a master. Yeah, way ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah. So I want to switch gears here. We've been talking about really what comes down to the health of the environment, the health of the earth, and the health of ourselves included in that, because we're not separate from the environment. We, we are, are we the are environment. The we, are, we are nature. Yeah. There is no better, no worse. Yeah. We're in it. What it, one of the ways that really turned me on to you back in 2006 ish was doing an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's obviously we've, we've really set the tone on the reason to eat organic food. Yeah. Now, how do we clear out some of these problems that we have? Can you break down what an elimination diet is and best practices? And yeah, well, the first thing to do is in my book, how to eat, move and be healthy which is out of print right now, but not for much longer, just in case people try to get it, where, where I updated it and I included a, a synthesis of the four doctors in the new version of Eat, Move, and Be Healthy book so that people could use the four-doctor model and the techniques in Eat, Move, and Be Healthy and the assessments in Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. So it's, it's hopped up quite nicely. Um, and that should be coming off the press. We've been waiting for two months now, so it should be here any day soon. But in my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, there's a four-day rotation diet. A four-day rotation diet is unique because it breaks foods down into genetic species so that on each day of the four-day cycle, you're eating foods that do not have the same genetics of, as, of, as any of the other three days. So if you're on bovine day, uh, if you're on pork day, you're on fish day or on bird day, for example, if you're on bird day, most birds do not have any genes that correlate to venison, beef, cow, lamb, buffalo. So on fish day, you're not, you're not typically eating things that you would get on beef day or pork day or bird day. When you look at how what, what is called retention time, if you eat a food right now, for example, if I give you red beets right now, you'll if your body's functioning fairly normally within 14 to 16 hours, if you look in the toilet, you'll start seeing your poop is stained red. But the retention time is how long it takes those molecules to leave your body. And that's generally 56 to 72 hours for most people. The key point to remember is that a molecule is active as long as it's in your body. So as a simple way to think about this, think of mercury. As long as mercury's in your body, it's active. As long as you have any nutrient in your body, whether it's anywhere from mouth to colon, it's still potentially affecting your physiology. So the immune system is monitoring and responding to anything that's in your body till it either leaves in the urine or the feces. And, and some of it gets stored in fat if you don't have the enzymes and the nutrition on board to run the detox pathways. Whatever you can't break down that's a threat to your system gets stored in fat to protect the nervous system's organ and glands. So a lot of people's fat is highly toxic. Um, so when you're doing a four-day rotation diet, it allows you 24 hours of complete rest from any genus of food every four days, which has a calming effect a resting effect on the immune system, which ultimately strengthens the immune system. Because just like an athlete has to rest, and if they overtrain, they get tired. If you overwork the immune system, which uses huge amounts of your resources, it's a very energy consumptive body-wide system, then the immune system itself gets fatigued. And as it gets fatigued, it's unable to police cancer cells. It has to start deciding what's the most important, and it has to start shelving or not going after things 
that it is, is also important. For example, if you've got cancer cells in your body and the immune system has that and you also just picked up a flu bug, it has to decide, can I afford to kill the flu bug and the cancer cells when I have so little resources? So it'll go after the cancer cells to the best of its ability and the flu will knock you down. But you can see that as you get more and more fatigued, more and more stuff starts getting stored in your body. So what happens, a classic example of this, how many times have you heard of people saying they went on vacation and the first couple of days they were on vacation, they got sick? All the time. Because as soon as they started resting, they had enough energy to turn their immune system back on. And now it's policing all the stuff that the cells are trying to hold on to until the immune system can come clean it up. So it's kind of like having a prison that's so full that once the prison warden comes back from having a couple of days of rest with his head clear, he says, okay, now we'll decide who's going to get executed here <laughs> and we'll clean these jails out. So following a four-day rotation diet allows you not only to decrease the stress on the immune system, but it encourages more food variety and nutrient variety because you are aware that you need to eat from these four different species and, and even the produce is carefully, it took my researchers, the, my, I had two assistants that worked for me, both highly intelligent people. One's now a very successful naturopathic physician and the other girl married a, 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 an osteopathic physician and she was a 4.0 <laughs> graduate of San Diego State University with a degree in biology. So I took two very smart helpers and they spent uh, quite a lot of time researching each of the genetics, the genetics on all these foods to develop a four-day rotation diet so that whenever you're eating off the meal plan, which is just a menu of options, on any day, you're not eating genetics that you're getting on other days. And so it took some effort. So not only do you get the rest of the immune system, but you now are being indicated to eat off these different menus which has a much wider variety. The research shows the average person only eats 10 to 12 foods their entire lifetime. And interestingly, other research showed that the average person only knows 10 to 12 exercises. Hmm. I found that parallel interesting. So when you consider the average food person's only eating 10 to 12 foods as their main foods, when you go on a rotation diet, it's easy to eat more foods because you can't eat the same 10 to 12 foods and have a four-day rotation. And so people just get in these very rigid eating patterns. Then the next thing you do is that's the beginning of the elimination diet. The, the trick is to turn the rotation diet into an elimination diet. I recommend to all my patients and students that you eat no more than two produce foods, such as fruits or vegetables, and only one flesh food. Because, for example, if you eat casserole with 12 different items in it, how do you know what's bothering your immune system? You have way too many items on there to say, okay, which one of these is the one that's triggering my immune system or which four of these? It could be all of them, right? So by eating maybe some slices of tomato and some carrot sticks and a piece of fish. The next day you eat uh, maybe some uh, radishes and some cauliflower and a uh, piece of chicken or a couple of eggs. Then when you're monitoring how your body's reacting to this, you can look at it and say, the, the question you ask is, if you get a negative reaction, you always ask the question, which of these do I eat the most of? Research shows the foods you eat the most are the ones you're most likely to be intolerant to because when we're under enough stress to cause inflammation in our gut or we're eating foods, drugs, or alcohol, 
or additives that inflame our gut. And about 30% of food additives used in food worldwide are gastrointestinal inflammatory. So most people are eating inflammatory agents all day long. When you're under the most stress, whichever the foods are the most prevalent in your gut at the time, cross the, cross the small intestine into the portal vein, into the liver. And if a food gets through there that's not broken down into proteins, amino acids, and carbohydrates, the basic molecules that can build cells out of but don't have an animal or a plant identity, if anything crosses through, it becomes an, an antigen, which is something that is anti-human. It's, it's a piece of animal or a piece of something else that you cannot put into your own flesh. In other words, if, if pig gets across your blood brain, brain I mean, your, uh, your gut wall, then you've got pork running around inside your bloodstream. But if you break that down to amino acids, that's the same thing your cells are made of. You understand? So the immune system's job is to clean anything out that carries the identity of the source food or, you know, for example, the only reason you can eat lamb for a year straight and not turn into a sheep is because your immune system and your digestive system knock out the idea of the lamb by disabling the cell and dismantling it because cells are like antenna systems that channel in the frequencies of the cosmos that basically bring the archetype of the animal and the structure of the animal and the energy that's in the animal's field that directs it to become that animal. If that gets into your body, then your body doesn't start losing, well, what am I? Am I a pig? Am I a chicken? Am I a horse? Whatever you're eating. So the function, one of the key functions, and Steiner taught all about this long before they proved this kind of stuff scientifically, the, the the immune system and the digestive system have to be strong enough to break all food molecule, molecules down into their essential components, fats, proteins, carbohydrates, enzymes, trace elements, et cetera, which are the building blocks of all cells so your body can then use them. So if something makes it across the, the gut barrier, the gut wall, because you have leaky gut syndrome due to inflammation or stress, as the stress is the number one cause of that of any type, then your immune system has to produce antibodies to it. So you start getting high white blood cell counts. And what, what, what does it feel like when your immune system turns on because you got a flu bug? What, what do you experience? Oh, it's brutal. You get tired, don't you? Yeah, you run down. You're and your tired. mind's foggy. And you don't want to do anything. Okay, well, what do you think's happening when about 98% of the US population or world population have leaky gut syndrome? They're eating toxic foods, inflammatory foods and their immune systems are chronically turned on. How do you go to work and function for a day when you're feeling like you should be laying down? What do you do? You gotta rest. You take Monster or Red Bull, or you drink coffee all day. <laughs> yeah. and Power you, through it. And you eat sugar, and you eat stimulating foods, and you eat quick foods, because who's got the time to make real food? Hardly anybody, so what are they doing? When their bodies are actually telling them, hold still, ding dong, you're sick. And oh, by the way, you keep poisoning yourself with all the stuff you call food and your microwave and all your other twick tricks, your food that sits on the shelf and can last for 10 years. How did your food last for a long time on the shelf? They kill all the enzymes in it. So it has no rotting power. Rotting is what you know, fermented food is rotten food. That's food. But if you take all the enzymes out of it, so it lasts on the shelf, that's why they pasteurize milk. They tell you it's to protect you from the bacteria. That's, that's, that's scientific fallacy. What they're protecting themselves from is extra milk being wasted. So they kill all the enzymes and tell you it's safe for you and your kids. And it lasts on the shelf about four times as long as, or ten, five times as long as raw milk would, right? But when raw milk rots, it's called buttermilk. It's still a food. 
when milk in your refrigerator rots from the store that's been pasteurized, you open the lid and the smell of it will almost kill you all by itself. It's so toxic. So the function of the elimination diet is to narrow, first of all, go to organic food, period. Use the rotation diet to let your immune system rest and monitor by eating small numbers of foods and keeping in a day timer exactly what you're eating. So if you eat bacon and eggs for breakfast and you write in your iPhone at 8 a.m. I had bacon, eggs, and um, sliced tomato. But at 9.30, I begin to get a headache and feel really tired and I got gassy and bloaty. Well, chances are really good that it's one of the th items on your plate that are giving you a headache, which is typically a sign that your liver's backed up and the gassy and bloaty means that your microorganisms can't effectively break that down or you've brought microorganisms in that your body's having to attack or it's just a food that you bought your body doesn't do well with. So then you say, okay, well, now that I know that, on my next rotation where I'm eating bacon and eggs, which is, I'm just using that, but you wouldn't mix bacon and eggs together because they're different genuses. Eggs would have to be on egg day. But just to give you an example of how mm -hmm. you think about this, on the fourth day rotation, you come back to your bacon and egg day. You say, okay, which of these do I eat the most? Bacon, eggs, or tomatoes? Okay, well, I probably eat more eggs than any of them. Good. So you leave the bacon on the plate, you leave the tomatoes on the plate, and now instead of eating eggs, you put something else on there. Choose whatever you want, whatever you're willing to eat, right? So eggs are high fat. They give us a sense of satiation. So now you trade your eggs for some avocado. So you can maybe satiate yourself or you connect to your body or you can ask your soul to help you figure out what food to eat. You eat that food. And then, then you say, okay, let's watch and see what happens. Well, all of a sudden you realize it's noon and you're feeling great. And then you go home and you, and typically on a rotation diet, you want to eat the same food for all three meals, especially when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. You can eat it for 24 hours, right? So you could eat bacon, avocado, and tomatoes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So you get to dinner time and you're not having any negative effects. Well, lo and behold, you're now very suspicious that those eggs were causing you trouble. So if you now want to test, you go back to putting eggs on the plate the following cycle, and lo and behold, 8.30 comes, your headache, your headache's back, you're feeling shitty, you're gassy, you're bloaty, and you go, damn it, it's those eggs. So once you identify what it is, typically you got to take three months off. It usually takes three months for the immune system to calm down because once your immune system creates... Um, antibodies against any food. It's like the FBI going around and putting up pictures of the most wanted all over your body. You know how you see them in the post office? Mm -hmm. Dangerous criminal wanted. If you see this person, call this number. So whenever anything gets through the small intestine that shouldn't be getting through, the immune system, as a metaphor, puts a picture of it all over your body. And it takes about three months before the immune system stops putting those posters everywhere to warn the cells of the body and the immune system to attack this. The longer you've been eating it and the more you've been eating it, the more likely you'll have to do a second three-month period because people will then still get a response three months later. My experience testing and working with countless people, including my healing myself with this, is that if you retest at six months and you still have a reaction, it normally takes a year because for the immune system to calm down, which has a lot to do with the way the immunoglobulins work. Um, you got IgA, which 
uh, about 89% of it lines your gut tube from mouth to anus and anywhere you have a mucous membrane. It's your first defense. You got IgG, which is fast reacting. So like I said, someone gets a headache an hour and a half later, that's usually an IgG response. You got IgE, which is a, an acute allergic reaction. And you got IgM. Interesting, you can have an IgM response as much as a year later. You could eat a pizza today, not knowing you're gluten intolerant, and one year from now have a headache and feel like shit from a, a delayed IgM response. And that you can read uh, Jonathan Brostoff and Linda Gamlin's work on food, um, on, on how the immune system works and food allergies and intolerance, and it goes into the immunoglobulins very well. So do you see that the secret is really paying attention, working with your body, eating clean food, keeping it simple, identifying what foods need to be taken out, leaving them out, which again encourages you to do what? Find new foods to eat. The problem is people get so screwed up. I've had people with 52 food intolerances and food allergies. So they're, of course, they're like, what the hell am I going to eat? And I say, well, guess what? This is how you do it. Now you get to go exploring. So now you go to the Mediterranean markets. Now you go to the Chinese markets. Now you go to the Hindu markets. You find all the foreign markets in town and you find out what are these neat vegetables that they're eating? What are these different species of fish? You know, now you try octopus for the first time or you try sea urchin for the first time. You, you, you have to become explorative and you find foods that your genes aren't used to eating that are available so you can actually eat something without triggering an immune reaction. And if you're not careful, you can push yourself to the point where you're a medical case. And I won't even go into that because it's more technical and it requires you know, someone like me or someone skilled at super, so now you're like a cancer patient, basically. You have to be carefully monitored and carefully fed. And oftentimes you have to do things like using, you know, organic whey protein uh, that's had um, modifications made to it so that your body doesn't react to it. So I used to use one from Swiss Pharmaceutical, for example, that was turned into a hypoallergenic whey protein that could be used with people that are normally reactive to whey but you're dealing with very expensive products that are hard to get a hold of. So the point here is not to let yourself get to the point where you're, you need to be medically managed because it's very expensive, time consuming, and it's stressful because you have to change the whole way you go about living your life. And it's very restrictive. And it's the sign that you didn't pay attention until way too late. It's all bad sooner or later. Does right? that answer your question? That does 100% brother. Yeah. And then some fuck. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we hit our mark, brother. We're out. We're out of time. Oh. Is there anything that you can mention that you didn't, that you left off the table? Where's some great resources for people to get a hold of through the Czech Institute? Well, they can dive deep. Obviously, you guys are printing up. My book, How to Eat, Move, and Be book. Healthy, but my, my audio book, uh, audio series um, called You Are What You Eat is 128 pages I had to cut out of the original, run, original manuscript for Eat, Move, and Be Healthy because the publishers all said that I was working with all said that the average person can't read, won't read a book. Typically, once you take a book over about 220 pages, the readership drops off radically. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, 128 extra pages, which was all on these kinds of concepts. What's in food, how they poison food, how they lie on labels, how to protect yourself, food storage, everything you need to know about food that's not in the book. So that's called You Are What You Eat. And it's, a, it's, a, it's like, I think, nine hours of audio um, that you can listen to. Um, we've got the, um, 
Eat, Move, and Be Healthy book. You've got my webinars, uh, four-part webinar called Primal Pattern Eating, which really teaches you how to apply uh, the techniques for individualizing your food. Um, and then the Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 online, you can do it right online, shows you how to implement not only the strategies of Eat, Move, and Be Healthy and the Four Doctors, but more, takes you through a series of smaller bite-sized lessons, and you can choose the option to work with an instructor, and then they answer all your questions and give you help implementing the strategies. And that's, you know, that's a very, very important program because it really gives you a chance to look at the essentials. How do you change the environment? Uh, how do you know how to shop? How do you do all these things that for a lot of people are new and novel? Um, and then you have someone to ask your questions to. And I think that's really helpful. And many of those people get so excited about how much better they feel and look that they want to help others do it. And holistic lifestyle coach level two is where we teach people how to do a be a holistic lifestyle coach professionally and we need a lot of them out there right now so those would be the things i mean you know scanning my website my blog site paulchecksblog.com or my youtube channel youtube.com forward slash p-a-u-l-c-h-e-k live and there's over 500 videos on all sorts of stuff like this and that's where i'll be sharing my um, earth warriors series uh, in the next probably a month or so, I'm doing quite a lot of research to get some heavy duty, shocking, but truthful statistics like the ones I was talking about. And I'm going to provide people with all sorts of research they can look into. I'm going to, it's not, it's don't, don't believe me. Check it out yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just the messenger. Awesome, brother. It's Thank always you. a pleasure having you on. We'll definitely have you on again soon. I look forward to it. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. brother.